0: Welcome to the Communicating Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colm Haney, a dentist with a special interest in all aspects of communication in healthcare. Each episode, I'll be having a conversation with inspirational practitioners to discover how they communicate effectively, creating exceptional relationships with their patients and fulfilling, rewarding careers. For clinicians who care, let's find out how the experts do it. My guest today on the podcast is Dr. Aidan Harney, Ph.D. Aidan works in a Europe-wide role for Intel Corporation, where he uses his leadership and coaching expertise to understand and enable leaders to be catalysts for change and transformation in an organization at the cutting edge of future technologies. In health, it is crucial to realize our leadership roles, whether as business owners or as the head of a team working for the best outcomes for our patients. This interview was recorded pre-COVID-19. However, Aidan talks a lot about seeing and making sense of disruptive forces to our practice and our industry. This is so relevant to recent global events. In an era of increasing practitioner stress and burnout, we give consideration to the portfolio career. What is it? How can it benefit us? And how to integrate it into our life. Also, in case you haven't guessed already, Aiden also happens to be my brother.
1: Great. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be sitting opposite another Dr. Harney. <laughs> uh, I think we should call each other Dr. Harney throughout the entire yeah. interview and see if how, how people can follow.
0: And also one other thing I forgot to mention in your bio, you're also an artist. Mm-hmm seen some amazing pictures of yours over the years, including the two or three you have hanging in your apartment that yeah. I believe people have made you large dollar slash offers for cash <laughs> offers for and you've thankfully refused yeah. and also I don't know what's the word
1: to describe it? a published playwright or a yeah a published playwright yeah I think that just reflects where, where I'm at in terms of the way I believe that people can have varied interests and they can weave them all together and you could be dentist and you could play golf but i'm sure many people listen to the show are also you know part time writers and and artists and boats people and all those things and i think if you really when we get into leadership it's all about you know being able to integrate all of those things so when you turn up at a meeting or when you turn up with a team you're very 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 authentic you're not trying to be something that you're not so i think
0: bringing all that together is really important and also, I suppose we can tie that in to the portfolio career discussion a little Definitely. bit later on as well. And Aiden, we're going to get into a pretty big question here. What do you think are the fundamental qualities of an effective leader?
1: Yeah, a huge question. All right. I think, you know, there's been so much written about leadership. And if somebody Googles it, they'll find, you know, several hundred thousand references and books. Yeah. I think for me, really, you know, rather than kind of the traits or qualities of a leader, I think what I've understood about leadership, it boils down to a couple of key functions. And so I think for a head of practice, for a small business owner, the key thing to really think about is in leadership. How are you, first of all, number one, helping yourself and your team to sense make and that sounds like a very strange thing, but I think we come back to it a lot during this interview because there's so much happening in the world at the moment, and there's so much change going on. Yeah, and that could be technology, regulation, uh, the world I work in at the moment, for example. You know, artificial intelligence and five G. They're here, they're present, they're very real, and if we don't think that they're going to transform every single sector of society and going to disrupt. Then we're, we're fooling ourselves. And in medicine and in dentistry, they're, they're going to be huge. You know, artificial intelligence is going to be able to, you know, read data far more effective than the clinician can. And 5G is going to mean that data is just so readily movable at fast speeds. So no matter where you are and no matter where you're located, you should have access to everything that a patient needs within two seconds. Okay. So. I think sense-making is the first function of a good leader. And then the second one is decision-making. So if we if we make sense together and we agree on a vision or a direction and and we collaborate on that together, led by a leader with their team, then then we make some key decisions about, you know, where we're going to invest, what we're going to do, maybe what we're going to disinvest in a little bit, you know. This used to be important in in dentistry. It's not so important anymore. Guys, we need to all invest a little bit in this thing called AI and slowly get on top of that. So we make some key decisions. And the last one then is adaptation. So you've made sense of the world and the context and the environment you work in. Yep. That can be a multinational, it can be a business of seven people. Make some key decisions. And then the leader also has to think about the third leg of the stool, which is how do you then help your people to adapt and adapt to change and transform? Mm-hmm. And that, that really is the bit that sometimes gets overlooked for a leader. They can have a great vision. They can, you know, come up with a great strategic plan, but how do you then spend time with your people to get them to adapt? You
0: talked about this sense-making. How do you actually do sense-making, as in it's there as a, as a
1: theory? Yeah, so, so really what sense-making is, it's saying there's a huge amount of data out there. How do I, as a leader, help myself, first of all, and then my people to collect that data in a meaningful way? And there are some very practical things that you can do. So as a leader, whatever organization you work in, the first thing you need to think about as a practice that you have for yourself is how can you be more grounded And how can you be more present? Because if you're thinking about, you know, the bad game of golf you played at the weekend, the kind of problem that your child has in school at the moment, plus some financial worries in the the business, you can't be present at all. And so whatever it is for you, whether it's a jog on the beach in the morning or a little bit of meditation or just sitting silently, how can you ground yourself when you feel that you're not grounded? And then you can start tuning into, number one, yourself yourself. Uh, some emotions that you might be having. You can tune into your kind of body or what's called embodiment. And, and so, and then when you've got that little bit of work done in yourself and thinking about the effect that's going to have on others, you can start tuning into what data you have about others. Okay. How are they performing? What are they doing? What, what signs are they giving you? What signals are they giving you? And then you can, it's, it's a, it's the onion. You can go beyond that. Then you can say, okay, out in the environment, what am I reading about? What am I seeing? What's coming at us? What's happening not only around the corner, but what's happening nationally and internationally? But, If there's only one thing you do, it's that ability to... How can you slow down the film of yourself enough that the adrenaline is calmed and you can actually see, okay, this is how I am at this present moment. This is how I am being, and because I'm being like this, it's having a ripple effect on my team, and I'm probably missing some stuff, etc. So sense-making sounds very convoluted altogether. It just is how you slow the film down enough to actually read the data. So the sense-making, number one, the... Decision making. Then, okay, yeah. we, we're all aligned now. We've, yeah. we've we've made sense together. Now we're going to align together, and we're marching in this direction. And here's some things we've agreed not to do. And here's some things we're going to continue to. And here's some new things we're going to start doing.
0: What I'm getting from that is the decision making phase must come after the sense making phase. Absolutely. We don't we don't make decisions without having understood what we're making decisions about, and also having everybody on board mm-hmm. in that process. Is that is that correct? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So. Again, you, you're going to bring a team with you. You need to create for that team a very, very, very uh, safe psychological environment. Um, and most teams that are underperforming, when you look into the reason they're underperforming, it's because they don't have a safe psychological environment. There is very often a leader there who is very stressed, and they're not conscious of what they're actually doing to that team. They're they're actually causing kind of psychological terror or psychological vandalism. Yes. And if you told that to a stressed out leader, like they'd be horrified. Too if you use terms like that because my background my phd is psychology you know are you enabling a team to be psychologically safe or are you enabling a team you know to be psychologically unsafe yeah and when you look at those two things it's very interesting amy edmondson a researcher in in the health and, and medical field did some amazing research around high performing teams yeah. and she came up with what i think is lovely she came up with the verb teaming right. rather than the noun of a team you know, yeah what's, what's good so uh, a really high performing team is a team that's teaming we've gotten over the hurdles we've we've told each other enough truths we've got comfortable with you know with some of our foibles kind of know each other enough to say yeah it's psychologically safe here to say I don't know the answer to that or I made a mistake or I need some further support and when you think about you know any high performing team on the pitch in business in politics they are high-performing teams who can say, you know, I made a mistake, I don't know, or I need yeah.
0: support. I think that's that's really interesting. I can think of so many examples, even in dental practices, of all those things. Good teams working together and also the psychological vandalism. I, l- I love that expression. That's what, that's what I'm going to... I probably won't use or I won't call anyone a psychological vandal but I'll have that playing in my head when I yeah. see it going on and maybe it's good to be alert to that that that's actually happening and what it, what it can do to a team. Well that that flows on very nicely to the next thing I I was thinking about asking you anyway. Healthcare is is very team dependent and this can relate to any small business. So what makes a team work well together? Cuz I've been in high performing teams but I've also been in fragmented Demoralized teams where everybody's pulling in different directions.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we've got two things so far. So, so far we've covered that kind of sense making, decision making piece. So that's alignment, broadly, you could call it. And then the second one is this psychological safety piece, you know. So that's, um, the space and and the support to give it your best shot, but you may make a mistake, but you can learn fast. So you've got that kind of alignment piece and that psychologically safe piece. And then the third piece, that all high-performing teams have, and again, if you think of sport, politics, whatever it might be, business, the third thing they have is that they consciously, and the neuroscience backs it up, they allow the team to actually enjoy and have fun and have celebrations and just the right degree of just enjoyment. And an amazing thing happens in the brain when you create that climate, that microclimate on your team where already, as we said, we're aligned and people feel safe. And now the icing on the cake is plus you have fun. And that, that engagement factor of fun, uh, of enjoyment, of literally allowing people to invest time in something that makes their heart sing or gives them joy, that's that's going to go, you know, such a, a huge degree further for any small business.
0: I presume you're talking there when you mentioned the word fun, fun in your job and in and around the job as well. Yeah, it is Which, for be
1: fun in the job rather yeah. than, OK, we've done the job and now I'm going to bring you out for fun. Yeah. But when you come back, don't have fun. Yes. So so it's enabling yeah. an environment. And again, this is why the first thing for a leader is to be able to tune into themselves first. If they have a huge amount of concern and worry and stress, how can they neutralize that or self-regulate themselves so they don't carry that kind of sense and feeling out to the team? And it said as a leader, this is what you get paid to do as a leader. You need to be able to regulate yourself. Uh, you might have to park it. There's other ways you can deal with it, possibly outside of work maybe through a coach, maybe through psychotherapy, they are become far more popular in the business world. And what you can do now is you can then uh, show up and turn up in a, in a much better way for your team. And in terms of credibility and authenticity, you can say to your team, things are tight or things are tough. I'm certainly feeling the stress, but I'm not letting it get on top of me. And uh, I, I still need your ideas and I still need you on board and I still need you to lean in and, 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 uh, and enjoy every moment of, of your work here. And so that factor of fun is kind of, as I said, the icing on the cake for an organization. Yeah. If you yeah. see any organization where people work hard, play hard, play yeah. hard, yeah, and really enjoy what they do, that also has a very strong scientific correlation to performance, by the way. So if, you're t- if people are smiling and their heads are up, that's a good sign for the, for the future for the business.
0: And one thing I've noticed, I don't know if this needs to be talked about or not, is one bad apple can rot the barrel, but if... If the culture is strong enough, that one bad apple can also be lifted up as well. I've noticed in in small businesses, if the business is not going so well or demoralized and one bad apple can have a very toxic effect in there. But if the business is going well, if there is that fun, play hard, but still aligned and we're working together Mm -hmm. in health, working for the betterment of our patients, uh, you can often lift that person out or, or they leave. They know this place is not for them. Is there anything you need to say maybe about the, the toxic effect of somebody in, in different business
1: organisations? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think for the leader, first thing I would ask them is, you know, just let's leave the bad apples for a few moments and then look, let's look back at yourself again first. And it's back to that groundedness of, and very often there's a couple of key questions I can ask a leader that gets them to think about, again, the, the microclimate that they're enabling. I uh, very quickly, when you get them to look at their language, and I, I love the fact that you use the language of bad apple because it's a phrase that I would encourage leaders never to use. But I think it's great that you use it, right? Because it's kind of everyday parlance. And so if you have a dentist who, you know, figures he, she has a bad apple on the team, you know, get them to look at themselves first. Uh, get them to do that kind of sense making, checking data on themselves first. And then very, very often, surprise, surprise, the reflection of that would be, I'm not enabling that individual i, I label yeah. them a bad apple I, i'm not enabling them to do their best work because this is what i've got them doing and, and very often the leader figures it out themselves that they have a conversation with that person reconfigure their work balance in some way that that person can, can take off and shine china it's yeah. seen it so many times
0: or, or the other thing i what i've seen is they haven't established with that person what the culture of the organization is and they haven't communicated that mm. clearly enough
1: absolutely so clear expectations yeah and make sure that the perceptions are aligned. But then, obviously, there is a point, as you said, where if you do all the good kind of good yeah. diligence and you yeah. do the, the groundwork, you, you sometimes have to have that conversation with a person that it might be better for them to... This is not for you. and Yeah. yeah. They yeah. come to that
0: realization themselves, by the way. So we've discussed in health that the clinician is usually the leader of the team or, or even as a small business owner why is it important for the leader to be aware of their role and understand it as a concept because what I, what i see in health like dentistry and i've worked in hospitals i've worked in small practices i think the business owner who who is effectively the leader doesn't see themselves as a leader sometimes mm-hmm. i think it needs one step back for people to actually be aware that they're a leader number 1 and then introduce the concepts of good leadership after that.
1: Does that resonate or ring true? Yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes you can find another word for it that a, that a leader is more comfortable yeah. with. So when yeah. I, sometimes when I work with leaders, I get them to come up with their own phrase of, of what they are and that makes sense for them. And I've, I've, there's all sorts of labels yeah. that have come up. Um, like, so can you give me some examples? Yeah, exactly. So sometimes people prefer just the language and they think of themselves as coach because they come from a sporting background. Yeah. And then, okay, suddenly they get it. But everything you work with them on is building up their leadership capability. Yes. But they just like to think of themselves as coach. I think um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I know from somebody in Ireland. they again their background. The analogy for them of the kind of farmer minding and, and checking and watching and building up, taking care of, and that analogy worked for him. Okay, of, oh, right. So this is what I need to be doing every day. I don't just show up and go home. Yeah, I have a whole. List of things they need to be checking and doing and looking after and feeding, and, and that just worked a dream for him. so Okay, yeah, that's very know, interesting. Yeah, so you don't have to call it leadership, but, you know, you could be a gardener, you could be a farmer, you could be a coach, and, and those labels are the three of the typical ones that leaders connect with better than I'm a leader. So I think that's good. And then, you know, whatever concept they choose, it's vitally important that they get it because, as you said, if they're head of the business or ahead of the small practice, they do need to understand that their capability as a leader that's what gives the business a certain degree of headroom so if they are underdeveloped as a leader you can be guaranteed that their practice is underdeveloped it's not performing at the level it could be performing at if they're an average leader good on them you know they'll do well they'll take home uh, a good paycheck and hopefully their business will will thrive the unfortunate thing is there's any disruption on the horizon 5g artificial intelligence uh, they're likely to miss it so in terms of leadership development, you're always trying to build that leader's capability so that they've a bit more headroom, they're doing a bit of early sense making, they're always scanning the horizon as well as scanning themselves. And so they're more far more likely then to kind of role model uh, without even saying anything for others to start doing the same. Just to be deeply, deeply, deeply curious about themselves and what's going on around them.
0: Well you just almost took the words out of my mouth about what I was gonna follow on to that from what you're describing, there are these traditional images of a leader mm-hmm. as the sort of person at the top dictating and ordering down the food chain. Yeah, The way you're describing it, an excellent listener mm-hmm. is sounds like a key skill rather than a, a talker and a dictator. Mm-hmm. Do, have you anything to say
1: about that? Yeah, definitely. So as I said, my background is education and, and psychology. So you have to be very understanding and gentle with leaders because in the same way that there are you know, stages of growth from a five-year-old child to a 15-year-old adolescent to a 25-year-old young adult, there are stages of growth of leadership in yeah. exactly the same way. Okay, uh, There's five of them in, in, in most literature and research. We don't need to worry about all five. But if you look at the three dominant ones in terms of leadership, you've got the kind of expert leader. You've described him or her. A little bit dictatorial, very based on the qualifications and the education they have. Yeah. And, and that means that they are a leader as a result of being the smartest person in the room. And when they grow up a little bit, and I use that phrase intentionally, when they grow up a little bit as a leader, they realize that actually they need to activate the team a bit more. Uh, they need to enable others to get results. And we've been talking a lot about that. And, and that's as far as most leaders go. That's stage four. Okay. So if the expert leader is the third, the fourth is, is the achiever level. And across Western society, most leaders stop there and, the, you know, they have a good innings for 40 years in their practice and they get good results. However, what's happening today is just because of the pace of change, and just because of the sheer speed of the technology that amazing companies like Intel are driving into you know, becoming reality, you have now virtual reality, self-driving cars, yeah. artificial intelligence, 5G, the list goes on. And so the pace of change means that leaders more and more who are at stage four achiever level need to think about, how can I go further? And that's very difficult for a leader to think about that because they say, listen, I'm getting good consistent results. I've got it down pat- you know, I almost have the folder, I have the routine, I have the tricks of the trade. What else do you want me to do? Well, that, that's the question, are they even aware that there is a further? Probably not. So uh, that's a very good question. It's kind of, again, back to this ability to see yourself or to slow the movie down. Most leaders get rewarded for that kind of high achiever, high results that we, that we talked about. And where, where further is, is getting results today, but also keeping one eye on what's just around the corner. And so getting results, but keeping my business sustainable. So that's a bit of a stretch. Oh, gosh, I never thought of that. So that that puts me into a different category now. And There's a whole other list of kind of paradoxes like that. Uh, You know, I need to get results today, but I need to think about sustainability for the future. That's a bit of a paradox. How can I do that? True. Yeah. I need to be kind of very tuned in to the day-to-day business at a granular level but I need to be tuned into what's happening globally in terms of technology and medical care and, and dental yeah. practice, another paradox. So all of those paradoxes point to a fifth stage of leadership, which is the label you can put on it is catalyst, which is you're back to what we said earlier on. You are the catalyst by role modeling and by how you show up every day and how present you are. You're role modeling to others that it's not about standing still and performing this routine that we've got yeah. figured out. It's a constantly <laughs> catalyzing to keep pace with the change that's happening in our, in our sector. Okay. Catalyst yeah. leaders. About 1% of leaders have it figured out globally at the moment. Okay. All the indicators are saying that no matter what sector you're in, particularly uh, medical field, which is interesting, artificial intelligence is going to disrupt and consume the way we think about yeah. hospitals and dental practices. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and so the ability of people to move faster into a catalyst level is what we'll see right across society into the future.
0: And I suppose the flow on from, from that question is what are the common myths about successful leaders, such as, you know, they, they must have a big ego or must be ruthless or must be thick-skinned. I remember you talking and I found this a very interesting conversation, leaders actually sacrificing themselves for the greater good. Mm-hmm. First of I suppose that's a two-part question. First of all, the, the myths about leaders and secondly, the, talking about that sacrificing or whatever way you describe that
1: yeah great well let's pin it back to those three stages again so if the you know if some leaders do quite well at expert level three but eventually they rise up to level four achiever the pressure now is to to move on to level five but if you think about the kind of um, typical narcissistic or or big ego leader you describe so that's somebody at stage three expert you know i've got to figure it out I'm the smartest person in the room, so what I say goes. It's kind of dictatorial. The Donald Trump leader, absolutely. Well, yeah. Donald Trump, yeah, absolutely. Well, Donald Trump is actually stage two, which is yeah, <laughs> the equivalent of about a fifteen-year-old schoolboy. Well, well, give us give us a brief rundown of stage two, then. Uh, the, stage sorry, two really Christ. is, uh, I suppose, the best way to think about stage two is that it's uh, very opportunistic. Yeah. So, if will put one word on it, I'll say this if I think it's the right thing to do, but tomorrow I'll say that. That's excellent. And yeah, when I'm with yeah. you, I'll shake your hand, but when I'm with him, I'll, I'll say something else behind your back. So Yeah,
0: that's, okay, I get what yeah. you're saying
1: now. So that that's... That's Trump. I can see it just straight straight there. Yeah, that's Donald Trump. That's Nigel Farage in, in the UK who, who drove a whole nation to, you yeah. know, over the precipice with Brexit. Yeah. Uh, very opportunistic, said one thing here, said one thing there, etc. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's also Putin. So, you know, if you look at it from a psychological lens, you've got those three, two... Trump and Putin, who are definitely stage two leaders, you know? okay. But we'll take it back. Sorry, that was move, a move them aside yeah, for a yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, and then so uh, you know, really, there's no myths about leadership. Bar saying leaders show up differently at different stages. Okay. So, so it's correct to say that some leaders are egotistical. It's correct that some leaders are high achievers. But increasingly, what we're saying is that some—it's correct that some leaders need to, yeah, sacrifice themselves. But it's—it's it's what I said a moment ago. They need to—they need to say to themselves. Okay, I thought I had it figured out. I thought I'd established a really good practice. I thought I could sit back and rest for a while. And of course you can. You need a balance. But it's being able to say, no, I need to sacrifice that self. I need to sacrifice that model of self and say to myself, I've further to go. I need to get deeply curious again. I need to get deeply embedded in tuning into signals in the outside world. I need to get deeply invested in myself and my skills as a coach for my team and, and, and they need to go again to that further stage if they're going to cope with those paradoxes that we mentioned
0: yeah and letting go of your ego i suppose if you have built up a successful business on the day to day and the figures are good but Mm -hmm. there's something looming on the horizon Mm -hmm. is it? i suppose as a leader let dissolving the ego or something along those
1: buddhist lines i don't know yeah i mean you can approach it for buddhism is great in in that regard and so again it's just i would say it's just not not even letting go of the ego it's just being aware of the ego so in whatever way you can ground yourself and tune into yourself and see that the effect you're having on the, on the team is coming from maybe because you don't know the answer and the trait of a stage five catalyst leader is someone who goes into the room and says thank you team for gathering with me this is a situation that has arisen I don't know what the answer is I'm being vulnerable I'm being open I'm being very authentic with you I need all of you to pool your wisdom and if we all pull together we get through this thing okay now, that's a level five leader you'll never hear Donald Trump or Putin saying that <laughs>
0: I think that goes that saying, yes. There are some words that come up time and time again. How does an effective leader communicate trust? Mm-hmm. Either enabling people to trust them and also an ability to trust others mm-hmm. within the team to delegate.
1: Yeah, perfect. Okay, well, we just started touching on it there. So if you're grounded, whatever device you have to become grounded, then when you show up, you're authentic. And you know, if you look at the formula of how leaders bring about trust, authenticity is a huge part of that and then another very important part of trust And you can only do this when you're grounded is intimacy i'll explain that word intimacy because yeah. it's an unusual word it in is yes and uh, what it is really is if you're authentic and if you're grounded you have that ability to show up and be vulnerable and bring forward some little part of yourself that maybe people didn't necessarily get yeah. exposure to before can you give me any examples of that yeah, not even theoretical. I think, you know, if you go back to the example of the bad apple and you want to have a discussion with the bad apple, I think be grounded, be authentic in yourself and, you know, have a certain reaction to it and acknowledge that reaction and feed it. But then when you're discussing with somebody, that intimacy shows up in terms of saying, you know, practice is really important to me. You're really important to me. Uh, we've all made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I made a mistake last week. Yeah. This is what I did last week. So what I want to do is I want to agree what happened, how we can support you through it, uh, and how we can make sure that it doesn't happen again. But uh, I'm doing that as a coach and someone who cares about you. And as I said, as someone who makes regular mistakes myself. So there you're showing up with much more intimacy. You're authentically addressing the situation. That's a very effective way to address it, actually. But that intimacy piece lowers barriers straight away. There's a big thing in
0: dispute resolution Mm -hmm. about contribution versus blame. I think it's it's a really... i even dealing with my children mm-hmm. thinking about well actually the Kid is misbehaving, but what have I done? What's my contribution? And sometimes even acknowledging my contribution to the kid is making me vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But it actually works very well to diffuse the situation. And also with employees, I would imagine as a leader, seeing your own contribution within problems, I think is really crucial.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's why, we're if if there's a situation on a team or a bad apple or whatever it might be, whenever I'm coaching leader, I always say, okay, let's forget everything else that's happening in the team. Let's just come back and focus on you for a moment. That can be a shock sometimes, but inevitably, because of the position power that a leader has, they're doing something that is sending a signal or enabling that person to be less than optimal. Yeah, makes sense.
0: Approachability and the open lines of communication. So how, how can an effective leader communicate that? I, as the leader, am open to hearing voices, hearing what you say, hearing your opinions.
1: Yeah, so I think even in some of the stuff we've talked about there, you know, that that leader who, a uh, level five leader, a leader who is catalyst, shifts from an expert leader, thinks they're the smartest person in the room, an achiever leader, you know, wants the smartest team or, or the most effective yeah. team, That all those words, you know, effective, hitting goals, that's the focus for an achiever leader. And then when you somehow can figure out how to grow again and be curious how to get to a catalytic or a catalyst leader. That's the leader who actually shows up, not knowing. They don't know the answers. They let go of the routine. They let go of the black and white answer, and say, "No, this is much more complex. We need to weigh it into it together." And that's where they enlist the team.
0: And also, I think something that's very important in, particularly in healthcare, how does a leader communicate good ethics? Certainly in dental practices, good ethics needs to diffuse right throughout the organization mm-hmm. from simple things like cross-infection control, looking after patients, clinical care, handling money. How does a leader communicate that and instill that as a key part of the culture?
1: Yeah. And again, I think that's a great question, but the same answer in a way. So, yeah. you know, the moral climate that you operate in, that comes down to a leader slowing the film down enough I'm being able to sit with themselves and say, what is my value system? You know, when I get up in the morning, when I interact with my family, as I drive to work and while I'm in work and in everything I do, what are some of the things that are really, really critical in terms of, you know, values that I don't give way on? What are some of the things that I need to become more flexible on, perhaps? And, and how do I diffuse that into the environment as I go around me? So tuning into your own value system is really, really important. And a lot of leaders aren't aware of it or may have been aware of it when they were learning as I said earlier on at that earlier stage of 22 23 their brain is on fire their brain has matured to the highest degree so far in their life at 22 or 23 and and they're very aware of lots of things for the first time there you know their value system their ability to affect change what they can do in, in the world if they educate themselves but by the time they get to 33 or 43 or 53 they've kind of lost track of that so it's taking the time again to revisit those values and Again, as a leader, if you're crystal clear in your values and what you cut corners on and what you would never cut corners on, that's going to be very easy to enact. And and then a leader shows up in role models and everything. Certainly, I can speak from dental practices. If you show that patient care
0: is your number one value in Mm -hmm. the practice, so not making money, not paying the bills, not whatever. Obviously, all those things are important. Mm -hmm. Patient care, number one, you lead through that as your core value of the practice. I think every, everything else flows.
1: Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great example. So that's culture. You're, yeah, okay. you're talking about culture there. You're talking right. about... So value base for you is the customer. You bring that into all of your behaviors and everything you do. And then you'll show up as a leader in a meeting or a team briefing and you'll say, okay, just before we take that decision how is this good for the customer yeah. and, and you'll role model that it's top of mind for you it becomes infectious for other people and it just you know it's effortless if you're yeah. clear in that value system as a leader it's effortless yeah and then you create that culture of that microclimate. in general terms what do leaders struggle with yeah i mean i think leaders and part of leadership should be that you are struggling constantly so you know if you're Maybe a manager who has figured out that you know the certain things that you need to do and there's a routine and you've got it down. That's more on the kind of management function. By the very nature of you calling yourself a leader or the farmer or the gardener or the coach, as we said earlier yeah. on. But once you're in that position, you're then saying, you know, I'm leading. I'm I'm breaking ground here. I'm I'm looking out ahead. I'm looking around, up, down, left, right. I'm thinking about what could be coming on the horizon. I'm thinking about what our core strengths are back at base. Yeah. So all, all the time. There's a balance going on. Uh, there's a flux going on. There's, there's, you know, there's a degree of stress that's happening all the time in a okay. very, very positive way yeah. when you step up and take on that mantle of, of leading. So if you're in a leadership role and you're not struggling, then something's wrong. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. For you personally, what what do you find are the hardest aspects of leadership?
1: Yeah, personally, I think for me, one of the greatest leadership lessons in recent years is around the difference between these two words. Very similar, but very different. So one of the words is perfection. As a as an expert or an achiever leader, you would strive for that. Yeah. Know, perfection is the holy grail. And far more, of course, in the work that I do with leaders in particular, because they are literally inventing the future today. Yeah. They're literally pushing massive boundaries that are going to go global, that are going to affect every person on the planet eventually it's not about perfection anymore it's about perfecting how can i understand something how can i actively lean into it how can i make mistakes and learn really fast and adapt and get better at it so all the time i'm thinking of that verb perfecting
0: so are you talking about looking at it as a process rather than an end point yeah
1: absolutely that's it and there was a stage in my leadership career or my personal adult life when i was comfortable that perfection was the goal that's where i wanted to get to okay there's nothing wrong with that that was perfect at the stage where i was at but at the stage i'm at now i understand that even the way i show up and work with leaders 10 years ago if i was coaching a leader i would have prepped the coaching session i would have had three (laughs) ideas in mind okay if they weren't smiling and didn't shake my hand at the end of it i was kicking myself going out the door because it wasn't perfect now i clear the mind i get grounded become present and go in And in the moment, I'm trying to work with that person to find out, you know, where are they at? What is it that they require from me in a dialogue? And we might finish with lots of loose strands. And that's perfect. You've used a word a couple of
0: times, and I use this word a lot when I'm teaching communication skills, is curiosity. Mm. And it seems to me that's what you're describing. Not rather than going in with everything sort of pre-set out mm-hmm. in your mind, you go in more with an empty mind and a curious mind and see see what happens from there. But obviously there's huge skills involved in having that curious mind and being a an attentive listener.
1: Yeah. Well, if you look at the different stages of leadership that we mentioned, so stage three, expert; stage four, achiever; stage five, this kind of catalyst. Yes. Bit, just to be really clear, I'm not saying that five is better than four, or four is better than three. Uh, and we had a bit of fun saying that you know, three is definitely better than two. But we all have to go through you know, stage two to get to stage three, and we don't lose the capability we have at stage two if we require it. We can go back and be very opportunistic, but hopefully, it's not required as you move on. But more importantly, is we go through level three and level four, and we keep and retain those qualities and capabilities. If we put in the work to get to level five, well and good, and if it's necessary due to the complexity of the environment we work in, and increasing it is, then people go there. But there's nothing wrong, so to speak, with operating at level four. That's exactly where you need to be, and you need to go through that stage of leadership to get to level five. In fact, in my own research, where I interviewed lots of different leaders about their leadership careers and their leadership growth, then I analysed the content of those interviews to see really what was it that differentiated these leaders who are highly effective in complex environments versus leaders who are not so effective. And the one phrase, the one differentiating factor, was that leaders who are highly effective in complex environments were, were not just curious, but they were deeply curious. Okay, Deeply curious about not only their own environment... But this came up time and time and time again. They looked around, and even for very disparate environments, it might have nothing to do with dentistry, but they might have an interest in something over here to do with music. They might have an interest over here in something to do with chemistry. They might just go to a random lecture on uh, something to do with botany. The number of times that leaders fed back to me, it was that deep, open curiosity. Uh, The child's mind, the not knowing, as you said, they're all qualities of stage five leadership. The number of times different leaders said to me, but the fact that I was so open and so tuned in to those different signals coming in the environment, when I needed it, I was able to either plug into the right person yeah. in the environment or else I was able to join dots in a very unusual way that takes practice and takes time. And by letting the guard down, I was able to join enough dots and say, gosh, I heard about thing, this thing that's happening in the world of music or in botany or in chemistry and I can just take that and I can apply it directly into dentistry. Yeah. And that's, that's innovation. That's, yes. that's real innovation. That's a really fascinating
0: concept. I really like
1: that. Yeah. That's and so it's something yeah. I do. So every year I, you know, I have a limited budget for different conferences and events that I can go to. And I literally go and I pick the most random and obscure (laughs) seminars that I can go to. Beekeepers Uh, Conference in Ljubljana. Well, I guarantee if I go to Beekeepers Conference in Ljubljana, I'm going to take away something amazingly important to do with the environment and socialization and climate change and whatever else.
0: Well, you've segued us nicely into the the second topic of the morning, the portfolio career. So you've talked about the, the catalyst leader with the open mind and looking outwards. It's not quite the same thing. And I've spoken to me a, a number of years ago about portfolio careers when I was talking to you about being a dentist, but also looking at outside of dentistry at other things to do. Can you give me, first of all, a, a definition or an understanding of what is a portfolio career? Because l- not a lot of people may have heard of this concept of a portfolio career, but certainly as health professionals, I know a lot of certainly more mature health professionals feel like they're stuck in a rut i use Mm -hmm. that word feel consciously they may not actually objectively be stuck in a rut because obviously you can just down your tools and walk out anytime you want Mm -hmm. but they feel like they're stuck in a rut can you tell me what a portfolio career is and how it might apply to health professionals feeling like they are stuck in a rut
1: yeah, so portfolio career, really interesting. I think it, it comes from the fact that if you look at millennials today who are very much present and in the workforce, and if you look at centennials who are coming up and biting their heels close behind them, they have a very different value set than the value set that came before them. And uh, they're not looking for and they're not role modeling going into a career and staying in it for 40 years. Yes. Instead, what they're tending to do is they're tending to do a tour of duty, which is about four years. I <laughs> so. Yeah, that's a a good analogy, yeah. Yeah, so they go in and and they'll hop around and they'll move organisation and they'll they'll get a flavour of many different things and many different careers and many different cultures. And later on in life, they they may or may not, we've yet to discover, uh, settle down for that longer term career. Let's see what happens. But a kind of an offshoot of that is that then some later stage individuals in life, you know, who are working with these millennials looked at it and said, okay, I've got to a stage in my career, I might be financially comfortable I might be a little bit better off and the phenomenon that started very much out of the US and now it's going global is they have acknowledged the risk but they're financially secure enough to down tools as you said and to start mixing the career so the portfolio means that when you turn behind this label I show up as a management consultant but when you turn behind this label I do two days as a nurse and then when you turn behind this label at the weekends I practice something in in the field of music or whatever some of those make money for me yeah some of them don't make money at all today but they maybe bring me into a new avenue that would be a moneymaker in the future yeah Uh, but this collection of different career elements is a far better balance and mix for me uh, and it allows me to have a a, you know a better degree of well-being yeah uh, a better lifestyle and it also allows me to tap into that massive motivator which is deep curiosity so i'll speak personally and say for me
0: i'm a dentist about 30 hours a week Mm -hmm. I have a small website based on this topic, which is a passion of mine, getting health professionals to communicate more effectively. Mm -hmm. I write a blog on that with a degree of discipline where I write something definitely once a month, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it actually takes a little bit of time. I teach communication skills, so I'm Mm -hmm. preparing presentations. I coach my kids soccer team at school I coach kids in martial arts and then I train martial arts myself as well so all those things fire my brain yeah and things like particularly things like practicing martial arts has flow on effects physically and mentally for, for my work as a dentist, as a dispute resolution practitioner in so many different ways that, as you say, it creates connections in my brain that I don't even realize half the time, but sometimes something will pop into my head while I'm doing dentistry that I figure has come from practicing martial arts. And what you've said is so, so interesting. You just nailed something that, that I've been aware of, but never really put my finger on. One very unique thing about Dentists and I think doctors as well. We, we don't do a broad degree. When we study, we go down a very narrow path. So the actual mm-hmm. term stuck in a rut is a very apt term mm-hmm. because we really get into a rut where your, your knowledge and your expertise is so specialized that to do something else, activate a portfolio career mm-hmm. can seem very daunting. Have you had anything to say about that?
1: I think it's, um, it's one of those paradoxes or polarities that we talked about earlier on so if you move away from the position you're in at the moment the paradox is that it's going to be more challenging in the short term and it's going to cause fear and you're also going to have to leave behind some of the things that you're renowned for and you're going to have to pick up some new skills but if you've got a coach or if you're working with a supportive team or your family members or your partner behind you that, that becomes much easier And then I I think definitely in the world, as you said, that's changing so fast. Just thinking about, you know, how are you more embracing technology? How are you learning something new? How are you broadening your horizons? How are you becoming more curious? All of those things are very doable. You've just got to leave the existing self. And the portfolio career just allows you to, you know, dip your toe in the water, get curious, do it in a low risk, -risk non-risk way. The lovely side effect of it is you've just alluded to it is that you know your well being goes up. Yes. You get to know yourself better, you're more self aware, you're a better family person, you're a better partner, you're a better work colleague and leader. You talked earlier to me as well about
0: when somebody is going through that process of branching out their mind Mm -hmm. outside of a outside of their existing career into thinking about doing other things whether it be income creating or just other interests to expand yeah. their mind you talked about the effects that that can have on their relationships mm-hmm. whether it be as a leader in a business team uh, mm-hmm. such as a dental practice or even partners marriage partners or spouses what you said was that it's important to try and communicate or articulate what you're doing to your partner because they yeah. may not may not understand actually what's going on yeah can
1: you speak a bit more about that yeah definitely so in, in very simple terms. Terms. this is a very crude terminology and and it's far more complex but in very simple terms we go through periods in our lives when we have a fixed mindset we're more settled we're plateauing and we go through periods in our lives when we have a growth mindset we're much more open to change we're much more deeply curious and, and and we're up for shaking things up a lot so that's wonderful for the leader of a dental practice too and by the way a very good way to do that is draw a line down the page write on it all the things that that you think are fixed in your life and you'll discover i go to the same restaurant i watch the same TV i listen to the same music i have the same routine Uh, obviously i have the same partner hopefully you have etc but just look at honestly all the things in your life that are fixed and some of those are wonderful like you know a happy stable marriage and you don't want to change that yes but then look at the growth side and just think what's changing what's new what's fresh what's different what's stimulating how do you show and display deep curiosity and very often that column is empty or next to it yes so you got to then say okay what are the things i want to keep fixed and what are the things i want to shake up and there might be you know you might start slowly and shake up a few things but now that you've personally made that decision come back to the psychology then i do see a lot of leaders who then they've shook up their own mindset they've embraced a growth mindset but that's an inner Yes. Uh, that's an intra person in intrap person uh, yes um, and, and that's not visible it's a hidden dimension. So then what happens to the partner what happens to the people around mm-hmm. you in the business they read it as Bob or Mary now is just a bit odd. yeah uh, suddenly Bob has, is taking up martial arts so suddenly Mary is going to a seminar on beekeeping. yeah she's lost the plot. So that's why it's, you know, in terms of communication and particularly if you start with the nearest and dearest, your family members, being able to sit, particularly with your, your partner, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, and being able to describe to them, you know, in, in life we go through different periods where we grow or where we're less into kind of growth. And at the moment I'm finding things very stimulating. I'm going through really exciting stuff in work. There's a lot of change happening for me. It's very exciting. And, and just so you know, when I'm off at this beekeeping conference or when I'm, you know, taking up this new sport, it's this is all part of it. And um, I'd love you to come on this journey with me, but this is the crucial thing. You must give the person permission to say, Well, now is not a time for me to grow. And 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 make that super clear with them. Okay, great. So for you it's a time where you're in, in more restful mode, and plateauing, and that could be absolutely right for that that other the other half. Uh, and you need to respect that so much. And and then that You can have that lovely yin-yang where you can say, yeah, for me, this is a phase in my life where I am growing, and grow. And for you, it might be more stable. And actually, a great marriage is where very one person can allow the other person yeah. to do that.
0: It resonated. It struck home, you know, that you don't want your partner sitting on the couch thinking... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is he off joining a beekeeper's cult in Ljubljana and will I never see him again? Or you know, you don't want them you just want to be very open and upfront. But I suppose the first part of that is being aware that you're actually doing this yourself.
1: Right. So being aware and very often you're not aware not because right. initially no. it could be something that just sparked and, and you follow that path yeah. and you're just deep curiosity. When you step back and ground yourself and slow down the film and you ah, see what's okay. happening, yeah. then yeah. you can say, Most weeks what we used to do was get a takeaway, sit in the sofa and watch tv and that was beautiful if i'm breaking away from that routine yeah. you know, i need to kind of go back and get permission to do that i need to explain it i need to enlist my partner and, and maybe you know i need to slow down the trajectory of my growth a little bit because they would still like to have you two or three nights a week yeah. on the sofa yeah. eating takeaway yeah. food and you got to play ball there uh, maybe they'd like to come with you on that journey literally they might come to Ljubljana with you or or whatever they yes. compromise but in, in terms of relationships which is not the field I work in, but I know many coaches who do work in that field and psychologists who work in that field. Very often what happens in a relationship is, and the downfall of the relationship is, is that one partner goes on a growth trajectory and the other partner is at the right time for them to be in a fixed.
0: Yes, I can can see that, how that can happen so easily.
1: Yeah, so just, it's just, you know, I think you nailed it, really good communication is important. You know, it might be time to go for a walk, or sometimes when you're driving and both looking ahead, that's a really good time to have those conversations uh, rather than sitting face to face, which is very, you know, confrontational. So, yeah, just that just happened to spring up in conversation earlier that, you know, always enlisting your team in work, your team at home. If you're sp- going
0: through that growth phase. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really interesting and it really resonated very personally with me i'd be very interested to actually hear in comments from other people Mm -hmm. if that resonates with them and i can imagine it must and it will and i hope this conversation will give people value not only on learning about leadership level learning about portfolio careers but also giving some insight on a more personal level about things that may be going on in their lives and also even if it sparks an awareness of something that's happening maybe it's sparking an awareness hey actually I I am a leader Mm -hmm. I'll have to go off read up more on leadership and maybe try and understand leadership a little bit better or I'm going down that portfolio career path and I need to let my partner know or my business partner or whoever it may be so i think that's a really good place to to tie up the conversation and it's been really fascinating for me i've learned a huge amount both in terms of theory and also
1: very personal stuff as well so i thank you very much for that yeah i think that i think to tie it up what i would say is you know we've talked a lot about self-awareness and that's kind of been a theme running through it and the other side of the self-awareness coin is self-expression okay so that's the communication so the work you need to do yourself is get becoming self-aware yeah uh, and the latter part of this interview which is great we've flipped the coin and said now that you're more self-aware how do you become better at, at okay. self-expression that's probably the harder one that's the harder one and dentists yeah. are not renowned for it and no. uh, you know doctors are not renowned for it necessarily no. so the self-expression with your team with your team at home etc is really really important but yeah it's been a lot of fun and definitely i hope people take something from the interview and enjoy it
0: yeah i'm sure they will I want to thank Aidan for a wonderful interview, which has so much relevance to the practice of dentistry. I can easily reflect back on my dental career and see the impact of effective leadership and also areas where it was lacking, both in my actions and in that of others. As dental professionals, we sign up to lead a team with the aim to do good work in the best interests of our patients and the greater community. I also believe that experienced practitioners have a leadership calling to demonstrate honest, ethical practice of dentistry to students and newer graduates in any which way they can, be it large or small. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate it on your streaming platform of choice and also share with any aspiring leadership junkies you know. I look forward to you joining me again for the next episode of the Communicating Health Podcast.